0: are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1 with me. We come to conclude Genesis 1's account of the work of creation. We finish uh, God's work here with the second half of day six, with the creation of mankind. So we're in Genesis 1, and we'll be looking at verses 26 through 31. So here now the word of the Lord will begin I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. As we come to the final part of these six days of creation, We come to the creation of man and we notice even in these few verses the same emphasis on order that we saw from days one through the first half of day five. The literary order follows the same pattern that we've seen every other day. The order and distinctions in humanity itself. We see the creation of male and female, another distinction God is creating and bringing order into the universe through this. And we also see man as this final act of creation as the king over all of creation, the under king over all of creation. It's continuing that paradigm of the days one through three, the creation of kingdoms and days four, five, and six, the creation of kings to rule those kingdoms. And we saw in the creation of the animals on the land, they were as it were the the kings of land. But then we have the second part of day six, We have creation of mankind who are the kings, not just of the land, but over the birds and the fish and all of creation. So we end with the same order that God has been bringing to his created universe. We end on that same note. But here there's a categorical uniqueness of mankind. We see, importantly, in verse 26, God made man in The image and after the likeness of God. The image of God. This is a categorically different way God has, or purpose God has given to man. Something categorically different about man from all of the rest of creation. These two words, image and likeness, are reinforcing the same concept. It is an image or or likeness as a physical representation of God on the earth. It's known in the ancient world when kings would conquer and further their territory of their kingdom, they would set up images of themselves at the furthest reaches of their territory. They would put these stone carvings at the furthest reaches to demonstrate to everybody at the outer bounds who is king of this realm. It is the king that you see. His image is right there. And that is exactly what God is doing with creation. He's dropping his image. He's putting his image to represent him and to show that it is the God of heaven and earth that is king. These are his images that bear witness to that. Each image that is on earth, every human endowed with this image is God's representing himself. To creation. One other preliminary note here is that verse 26, we have plurals, and this is often um, a topic of conversation. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God, singular presumably, is now speaking in the plural. And what do we make of this? There's a couple main options presented. And first option is that God is speaking of himself in the heavenly court of these other heavenly beings that are created. And I think where this falls short is that it is not all of the heavenly beings that are created and neither are we in the image of other beings other than God himself. So I think this falls short, it's not simply, it's not God speaking to his heavenly court and all of them together in this act of creation. But another option is a royal we, As a king might speak of himself, we decide to do this. But the problem with that is that it's not attested to in ancient literature. This isn't a way ancients would speak of their rule and authority. This royal we didn't exist at the time Moses wrote. So I think the best option here is to understand this as a reference, although hidden and veiled and not fully understood at the time, to the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think this possibility makes the best sense even if Moses didn't fully understand it. This is how God can say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is a reference to the Trinity in the same way we have God who is creating the Father. We also have the Spirit hovering over the waters. And then we have the Word of God going forth to create the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have here, again, the Trinitarian, the echoes and the hints, of the Trinitarian nature of our God. So with that aside, I want us to turn to consider this image. What does it mean to be in the image of God? And I think fundamentally, mankind was created to commune with God. Mankind was created to commune with God. But two points we'll consider this evening. First is crown and second, communion. Crown and communion. First, let's consider the crown. And I mean this in two different ways. First, man is the crown of creation. Man was given a dignity above all of the rest of creation. There's a prominence of humanity. Humanity is the king of creation. We see uh, our shorter catechism speaks, asks this question, how did God create man? And it says, God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge. Righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures. But that, that, that phrase, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, this is something unique to humankind. Animals were not created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. There is a dignity, a, a, a value that humans have, a righteousness that humans had, a holiness that only belongs to mankind. And so, Humanity is the crown of creation, the crown jewel, the one who is, who is designed to display the glory of God most fully and completely. And so because of this, we cannot equate human life with animal life. As much as we love our pets, or some of us love our pets, we cannot equate human life with animal life. Human, humanity is more valuable. Animals are not made in God's image. Now you can ask Pastor Wright if animals will be in the new heavens and new earth. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying animals are not made in God's image, but humans are. So there's a dignity, a value that we have, but this also means there's a value of every single person. Even after the fall, which we'll speak of in a few moments, even after the fall, the image of God broadly still remains. Every human life has infinite worth, value, dignity, and integrity because every human being is, as it were, the face of God on this earth. No matter a person's age, from the moment that a new life is conceived in a womb, the image of God exists. No matter the age, whether they're in the nursing home and can't do anything for themselves, and they're just like a newborn baby, the image of God is present no matter somebody's health, no matter somebody's mental capacities, no matter somebody's race or ethnicity, no matter the color of anybody's skin, the value and dignity and worth of every person is infinite, in a sense. It is of great value, of great worth, and every single life must be valued and cherished. So that is why, Actions such as abortion and active euthanasia are wild violation of man's dignity, being made in the image of God. These things are off the table because it's violating the image of God. And an assault on God's image is an assault on God himself. There's value. There's dignity, there's worth. And indeed, this is not abstract. This belongs to each and every one of us in this room. You have value, you have dignity, you have worth. And it's not what you aspire to that gives you dignity. It's not what you accomplish that gives you worth. Maybe the world thinks so, but not in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of Jesus Christ, You are valuable because you are made in his image. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody think your life is worthless. It is not. It's worth great, a great price. And even Christ was willing to die to redeem it. You have dignity. So we are the crown of creation But the other sense in which we speak of crown is that humanity was bestowed the crown of rule. The crown to rule. Humanity has a crown upon its head because humanity rules for God on earth. Many people speak of the creation mandate or the dominion mandate. And this is verses 28, but it's connected to verse 27, directly linked to the image of God concept. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. And then we come to verse 28 and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The mandate given to God's image was to rule. There's a couple aspects to this. Let's look at three. First, the command to be fruitful and multiply. And this is similar language that was used uh, regarding the birds and the fish. They were to be fruitful And multiply as well. But this order given to humanity leads to this very natural outworking that humankind was designed to grow numerically. And our calling insofar as we are able is to produce the next generation. Of course, that's not possible. Everybody is not able to do that. And that is not undercutting this general call that all humanity is called insofar as we are able to produce the next generation. And this is where the importance of male and female come into play. Male and female need one another. Without that distinction, there is no multiplication. So humankind is called to grow numerically, to be fruitful and to multiply. The second aspect here is to fill the earth and to subdue it. We're not called just to numerical growth, but to geographic growth as well. Humans were designed to fill the entire earth. As we'll see later in Genesis chapter two, Adam and Eve, first male and female, were created. They were placed in the Garden of Eden. This garden that was that was contained in a particular location. It had barriers. It wasn't the entire earth at this time. It had walls. And what Adam and Eve were called to do was to be was to fill the earth with this garden temple. Was to expand the borders of the garden and to and to move into the areas of wilderness and to make it now a lush garden, just like the original Garden of Eden. And so to fill the earth and to subdue it means to have dominion over the, wild, the wilderness out there. Means in the same way that the tohu vabohu, right? The, 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 the without form and void of the earth being without form and void, God brought order into it. Humankind as, as God's under kings were to go out into the form and the void of the rest of the creation and to bring the garden to its presence or to, to the four corners so that God's presence would be there as well. So this filling the earth and subduing it, Adam and Eve were not just to be gardeners and farmers. This is directly related to God's presence with a people. They were called to fill the earth numerically and fill the earth geographically that the whole world would become a place where God dwells with man. And there's no remaining disorder in all of the earth. that God would dwell with his people. So they were called to fill the earth, to subdue it. And then the third part of this creation mandate was to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All of the kings created on days five and six, the birds, the fish, the land animals, all of them are subservient to mankind. And in fact, later on in chapter two, God tells Adam to name the animals, demonstrating man's kingly and prophetic authority over them. He is called to rule wisely over all of the animals. The image of God includes this vocational orientation to serve God and rule on his behalf. And they have been given the crown to rule for him. Do you ever think that you represent God? Do you ever think about that, that I am representing God to the world around me? That's what the image is designed to do, to represent the one in whose image it is made. You are a representation of God to all of those around you. You are designed to glorify him. Now, we'll briefly touch on this later, but go in more detail later as we go through Genesis. The creation mandate does not apply to us in the same way that it did to Adam and Eve, but our overall orientation toward the glory of God is absolutely the same. Are you imaging God for his glory? Or are you disordering the image of God in the way we live our lives? The crown of creation and the crown to rule. Let's consider now the communion, the communion element here. Verse 29 is interesting, it's an interesting segue into this. Because verse 29 is this is God naming all the plants and, and the trees and giving them to Adam and Eve for food. What this is is God's provision for his image. Ancient mythologies include these creation accounts with, with the gods creating humankind, but invariably, they then, the humankind, humankind was, designed, was called to provide food for the God that created them. So, part of humanity for the other mythologies was to provide food for the gods. That was our calling. But here, this is reversed and turned on its head. And in fact, it's not man providing anything for God. It's God saying, no, I'm providing for you. This is really an astounding reversal of what's expected in the ancient Near Eastern mindsets. Because here, God is saying, I'm giving you provision. I'm caring for you. And this is a wonderful picture of the kindness of God initiating his relationship with his people. I always have to quote from Gerhardus Boss, so here we go. Reflecting on, on the broader Reformed tradition, uh, thinking of re- how we reflect on what this image of God means systematically as we understand it through all of Scripture, he says this being made in the image of God, quote, means above all that man is disposed for communion with God, that all the capacities of his soul can act in a way that corresponds to their destiny only if they rest in God. This is the nature of man. That is to say, there's no sphere of life that lies outside his relationship to God and in which religion would not be a ruling principle. There's a lot there and we could unpack that sentence by sentence. But fundamentally, what he's saying is this. We were created with the capacity for and in communion with God. We were created with the capacity for communing with God and we were created in communion with God. This is what we were made for. This is what it means to bear the image. We were made in a covenantal relationship with the king of heaven and earth. Knowing him, knowing knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, knowing our creator, knowing our orientation towards glorifying him and ruling the earth, for his glory, a wonderful thing that no other part of creation can know or understand. We commune with our creator. I know how wonderful and glorious that must have been in the garden for Adam and Eve to do so unadulterated by sin. We were made. Our nature is to know God. And I I think it's also important, there's far more that I should say or we could say about being made male and female. But we'll simply say this, being made male and female, that is very intentionally a part of this in verse 27. In the image of God, he created him, mankind, male and female, he created them. The whole race is made in God's image, but they're made male and female very intentionally, very purposely, very distinctively. Both individually and together, they image God. God. And one is not of less dignity and value than the other. Male and female are made in God's image. There's no lesser value given to one gender over, or under the other. Both are in God's image. And through their distinctives, and, and though there are distinctives, they are both listed here as full partakers in the image, and both can fully commune with God. That is key. One gender is not subservient to the other. They're both endowed with the image and are full partakers of it. The crown and communion. This day six ends slightly differently from the other ones, intentionally differently. Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made. The other days, he just took stock of what he made that day. But here at the end of day six, he's stepping back and looking at all that he had made, everything that made, and behold, it was Very good. Not simply good, but it was very good. All of the fish and the birds, all of the the, the water and the skies, all the lights, the, the sun and the moon, the animals. And now God's under king was representing God on earth and it was all very good. Michael Horton says it is, quote, very good insofar as humans answer back according to the purpose of their existence, right? We're getting to purpose and nature. These ideas, the purpose of their existence was to fulfill this mandate to commune with God and to fulfill the calling on their life. And it is very good insofar as humans are doing that, answering back their purpose according to their purpose of their existence. But we know, of course, very good didn't last very long. As the fall entered the world through Adam's sin, the image of God, it was not destroyed, it was marred. The holiness and the righteousness, they're defaced. Our knowledge of God is defaced. Our communion with him is disruptive, disrupted, but the value and the dignity remains. Michael Horton goes on to say this, because of sin, every human being is born into this world as an image bearer of God, installed into an office that from conception, one holds as a traitor. Everybody born in the image of God, we are conceived now as traitors because we are no longer oriented towards fulfilling the mandate. We no longer can fulfill that mandate. But instead we sin against the one in whose image we are made. We're installed into this office as image bearers, but we hold it as a traitor. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, who according to Colossians 1:15, He is the image of the invisible God, the image of God. He is the one who is in the perfect image of him, unmarred by sin, unmarred by the fall. He is the firstborn of all creation. And Paul here in Colossians 1 is purposely putting Adam and Jesus in parallel. Adam is the one who fell and marred the image, but Jesus, he still remains the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, and now he is recreating us into that true image. As Ephesians 4 says it this way, it's calling us to put on the new self, the new self that is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Or as Colossians 3 says, as we read earlier, the new self is being renewed in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The recreation is occurring. The renewing of the image is occurring by Christ through his spirit in the lives of his people. And it is Christ himself who has fulfilled that dominion, the creational mandate that Adam failed to do. He has subdued sin evil and death, all the results of the fall, he has subdued and he will demonstrate the filling and subduing of all things when he comes and inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth, the place where righteousness dwells. It's not our task to pick up that creational mandate. Now it's refracted now after sin and we certainly have a calling in this life, but it is Christ who ultimately and completely has fulfilled it. It is the God man who has come down from heaven to earth who has filled the earth. Has subdued it by his obedience. Christ is the hope for our fallen image. Christ is the only hope we have. You cannot renew the image of God in you that is marred by the fall. You are a traitor by birth, and it is only Christ that can reclaim you, renew you, and restore you. And as we consider the crown and communion, we see ultimately Christ the crown, the one who brings us into communion with the Father. And we look to him with great joy, resting in all that he has done to renew in us the image as we await that final day, the final consummation where we will see face-to-face all of creation restored. Thank you for listening. For more information, To connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.